welcome to the St. Superior Sips podcast on Rosé. Um, it's that time of year where the heat is kicking in around the country and it's warming up and delicious rosé is a favorite amongst all of us here today. I'm very happy to have with me special guests, Wendy Stanford, uh, Director of Category Management, Imported Wine at Wine.com. Welcome, Wendy. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. And Nicole Harclaw, F&B Director at Hotel Vin and Autograph Collection Properties, Grapevine, Texas. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. And we've been covering a lot of different topics on the podcast lately from Napa Green Farming, Sustainable Fish, um, Fish Friendly Farming, and lots of wonderful topics like Sauvignon Blanc. And today is Napa Valley Rosé. And at St. Supery, we have two rosés. One is our Napa State Rosé that we make from our state properties here in the Napa Valley. And then we also bring in our sister property, Domaine d'Ile uh, Rosé from Porquerolles, uh, which is also from Provence. And two very distinct and different styles of rosé um, that are just the tip of the iceberg for the differences in the categories that we get with rosé around the country. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, Ryan. Gave you an edit. No worries. <laughs> so one of the things that over the years we've seen is rosé is just seasonal. It's spring. Rosé is done by September, but it certainly doesn't seem to be that today. Rosé is taking a much uh, greater role throughout the year on our wine lists and our retail shops and um, at our dinner plate. So I'd like to just start a little bit talking about that seasonality and are last year's rosés only getting better or is it the supply chain issues that could change uh, the ideas that rosé are just seasonal. Rosé experts say most rosé should be consumed within a couple of years, yet many buyers only want rosé within the first six months, as if it's Beaujolais Nouveau. How does everyone overcome that, especially with these supply chain problems that we're uh, faced with? Wendy, do you want to answer that first? Um, sure. I'm, so at wine.com, we sell rosé year-round. It's, um, it's reached about 4% of our overall business. And that's been steady for several years. Um, and I, you know, our customers are buying rosé based on many factors. I think we'll be getting into sort of um, what styles and things a bit later. But I think in terms of, uh, you know, buying it within the first six months of release, um, I, I don't find that to necessarily be true. I do think that there's a um, preconceived notion that, uh, you know, you are meant to drink it um, super fresh, but I, I think that our customers are buying rosé based on several factors. There's some brand loyalty, there's some style or color loyalty, um, but I think that they are perfectly happy to buy rosés that are one to two years old, um, particularly if it's a brand they know and trust. And also, um, you know, press uh, really does a lot for, um, you know, selling, you know, allowing customers to try new brands or new wines um, that, you know, they may not have had the confidence to try before. So scores really come into play too. And a lot of those reviews will say, you know, drink immediately, but sometimes they'll say drink within two years. And so I think that there's um, a lot of flexibility there and our customers certainly buy it year round. 
Wendy, do you see any difference in the style of rosé that's being bought year round from dry to um, sparkling to um, a little bit sweet or sweeter? Well, our customers certainly are um, convinced, it seems, that it needs to be, you know, a sort of Provence style, um, so dry, pale, um, but I, there is some exploration there into other regions and other styles, um, but I think it, it, we've learned that it is hard to convince them to buy something like Tavelle, which has a much darker color, because I think the perception there is that darker means sweeter. And Tavelle is certainly a dry wine um, and an incredible food pairing wine and things like that. But I think that, you know, it's going to take some continued education to get customers to understand that. Oh, good point. Nicole, what are you seeing um, on premise as far as rosé as a, as a year round option? Well, here at Hotel Vin, we try to incorporate rosé year round, but really, truth be told, it is a seasonal wine here on property where, you know, Memorial Day hits and, you know, maybe even a little earlier, end of April, um, and the rosé sales take off as um, they get into the warmer seasons. And I think it might just be a lifestyle thing here where people associate it with summer and the beach and pools and um and that's an education piece too that we need to work on. And that's where, you know, our job comes in and we host wine dinners year round. And in the winter, we're starting with rosé and we're doing rosé events in, uh, you know, November because we want people to continue to talk about rosé year round. But um, unfortunately, I think we still have some work to do to get to the point where people are consuming it year-round at least on premise and if I were working at a resort in Miami Beach perhaps things would be different because um, that would be more on brand for something like that but right now we are still seeing it as a seasonal wine here. And stylistically um, is there a difference for you with the seasonality? Um, people here really choose Provence year-round and um, again Going, trying to educate. We have wines from California, France, Italy, all different types of rosé with different varietals, but um, the consumer here is still very drawn to Provence-style rosé. Interesting. I was in uh, London recently, and as I was waiting for a, a wine shop to open, a gentleman came up as the wine shop to open and returned a case of rosé because it was the prior year vintage. And I was quite surprised because it the wine looked fine, and um, I was sort of surprised. Do you get any pushback, Nicole, on vintages? I think as long as it's within the last two years, people don't have much to complain or be upset about. I think everyone um, is very happy with two years and to present, but um, that's, that's just here. I'm not sure. I, I don't know that... I wish that there were rosés that I'd be excited to open five years from now that have, you know, the ability to age and maybe we'll get there. But I think uh, right now, two years is the sweet spot. Yeah. Wendy, any other comments on that, on the aging? Uh, yeah. I mean, I absolutely um, agree. Yeah. Customers are okay with one to two years, but I think beyond that, um, there's just not much understanding that, you know, there are certain um, regions like Bandol, um, where the wines are made predominantly with Mubedra, that 
you know, can age a bit um, more. Um, but again, I think it's it's a continued education and, and hopefully, you know, uh, it's not going to become too homogenized as the popularity of Provence style rosés continue to grow. Um, you know, hopefully regions stick with their styles and, and you know, we as as retailers and on-premise um, can, can try to educate. Thank you. So, you know, I think rosé, particularly in the last decade, has really taken off and sales are booming. Um, we're seeing the rosé uh, category is forecasted to grow by almost 70% to 2024. Um, and what do you think is really fueling that sort of growth? Uh, Nicole, do you want to comment on that? Um, yeah, I think for a long time we were stuck with Rosé having a bad reputation. And I think that um, just like what happened to Merlot happened to Rosé in terms of people associating just as a pink wine. And um, there's the huge growth of, you know, Sutter Holmes and White Zinfandel. And I think that people might have gotten confused along the way as to what Rosé really was um, or is and I think it's taken a little bit of time to educate the consumer as to what it is and, and that it's not necessarily a sweet wine and that there can be complexity to it. And I think we're finally in a place now where people are understanding that. Yeah, I think so as well. And I think that um, you, you were quite accurate that there's this was this perception that rosés were all sweet and um it, they're not. And having a dry rosé is a wonderful um, complement to so many different cuisines and um, and just to enjoy uh, prior to dinner too. Uh, Wendy, what are your thoughts on on booming rosé and the continuing continuation of it? Um, yeah, exactly. Like I, I mentioned before, I think you know it it is a continued education, and I think on premise has a has a great opportunity to. Um, explain that other styles can that look sweet to um, maybe the untrained eye, like something like Tavel, um, is actually quite dry and um, an incredible pairing for food. And I think, you know, when it comes to rosé, I think um, it's a bit easier for some consumers. Um, there might be some intimidation when it comes to choosing. Uh, a wine to bring to a dinner party or even, you know, at the table, um, they may not know much about regions or particular vintages that are good in particular regions. Um, and rosé can just be a nice middle ground um, for people. And I think, um, you know, for them to understand how, how well it pairs with so many different styles of food um, is, is really a great thing. I find that, you know, Mexican food can be one of the hardest things to pair with wine. And I find so many rosés are really a good option for that. And um, so I think that that's, that's a great opportunity um, for consumers to, you know, order with confidence um, and not be so intimidated. And I think rosé fits that category nicely. Yeah, good, good point. And your point on color is really good. You know, at, at St. Supri, our St. Supri rosé is is quite dark and um, we leave it on the skins a little longer. And we think sort of think of it as um, our summer red wine because it's a little bit hardier. 
it's got some good structure and, um, and tannins, but it's fresh and great acidity. And so it's interesting that that color can also be perceived as a sweetness factor, which ours um, is not. And um, our rosé that we import, of course, is from Provence, from Pokerol, um, and it is that typical classic uh, Provence-style color and quite dry. Um, so it's interesting. What are you seeing, Nicole, with color um, and perception from your customers? I'm really not finding that people are buying based on color as much as they are on varietal type and appellation. So they don't typically see the wine before ordering it or purchasing it. So we find that mostly it's location based for us. Okay. And do you get a lot of questions about level of sweetness um, prior to ordering or? Yeah, especially with um, the rosé champagne, we get a lot of questions about that, but typically the questions asked, is it sweet? And every wine on our rosé list is dry. So um, it's pretty easy to, easy to navigate from a server perspective, but um, that's definitely a, a question and an assumption that consumers are still making. So you also brought up a good point about appellation and, and Provence Rosé is still leading the way with um, five of the top 10 best-selling uh, rosés um, and seven of the top best-selling rosés are French. Um, Wendy, do you think it's the, the wine style? Do you think it's um, just the, the quality of the wine or appellation recognition? What are your thoughts on appellation? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's kind of all of the above. Um, I think there is a sort of um, lifestyle aspirational feeling around rosé in terms of while it's, it's being drunk year round and it's not particularly, not necessarily seasonal anymore. Um, I think it does sort of invoke that Mediterranean, you know, feel of, and so I think that draws people to to places like like France and Provence and and beyond. Um, Gerard Bertrand is, is a big um, proponent of, you know, the lifestyle behind rosé, and um, I think that's true. Wine.com, um, you know, we've sold 790 different brands over the last trailing 12 months, wow, and um, almost 1,500 vintage specific rosé wines. Um, however, 10 brands represent 33% of the volume there. And, um, you know, it's so I think that there is some brand loyalty there. I think that some brands have had incredible marketing, some have had celebrity um, backings. Um, and so I think it's kind of all of the above. It's, it's really, um, you know, 65% of our volume comes out of France for rosé and 17% out of the US. But Spain, Italy, Portugal, those are sort of next in line. I think based on the number of different brands that we have sold, our customers are, are, are they want to explore, but I think that there's just that feeling of confidence when it comes to French rosé. You know, I also see people um, drinking a little lighter style and a little lower alcohol. And um, we see that with Sauvignon Blanc being such a, you know, great uh, placement in the market. You know, there's a lot of growth behind Sauvignon Blanc. And part of that, I think, is having a lighter style wine that's fresh and lively. But I also... Um, 
you know, with the quantity coming out of France and typically being a little bit lower alcohol, any thoughts on those trends kind of overlapping? Nicole, you want to? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think that, mm, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that we're seeing that begin now, but I don't think that here our consumer might not be as educated in terms of wine um, and low ABV and lighter style. Um, I think that um, <laughs> we're seeing a huge uptick in, in Aperol spritz, for example, right now in those zero proof cocktail lists um, in the area. But um, I think that health and wellness has become a priority to um, all m more recently than ever. Um, and, and it's, we're definitely noticing that that's a priority, but I haven't seen that in terms of wine and what's being ordered right now. I, yeah, I think we have a, um, a live chat function on our website and our, um, our recommendation Psalms. Um, I think that they do get questions from time to time about ABV, but I would agree that, um, it's a it's a it's a slightly less important, but it is it is definitely growing a growing trend. Um, looking for those you know sort of better for you um, wines, um, and that means maybe less sugar and um, lower alcohol. But again, I think that that's you know a small percentage of customers right now, but growing. So Wendy, you know, so much of your online marketing is is showing the the wine, the packaging, the the bottle and telling the story as wine.com does so very well for the wineries online and having that online assistance. Um, do you feel that packaging plays um, as important a role as it does um, in a typical grocery store or wine shop store where perhaps you don't have um, access to all the other data? Um, absolutely. I think packaging um, plays a role, um, you know, on our virtual shelf as well as, um, you know, brick and mortar retail shelf. Um, you know, and I think that I mentioned this before, it may not be, you know, the coolest thing in the wine trade um, to talk about, but there is some influence that these some of these celebrity wines have had. And, and these are quality wines, for example, Hampton Water from um, that's Jesse Bon Jovi's um, son's brand is, is a beautiful wine. It's made by Gerard Bertrand. Um, and it has it, it is absolutely a, a lifestyle um, packaging and story. Um, so, you know, they, they, they do talk about Gerard Bertrand in the story, but really it's more about the Hamptons and having, you know, rosé and it's that whole lifestyle thing. So, and I think the packaging absolutely relays that story. Um, I think that there's some slightly more serious packaging, you know, that also draws maybe a higher end consumer. Um, you know, interestingly, you know, typically our customers um, are a little more than a third millennials, but when it comes to rosé, um, we skew much higher with the Gen X mm. um, 
crew. And um, I think that, you know, so, you know, the celebrity thing is, you know, I'm not really sure how that plays with the Gen X, but um, I think that, you know, obviously the millennials are the, are, are the biggest growing category. And I think that it's definitely attracting um, younger consumers. And so, yes, I think that packaging um, comes into play and, um, and, but more importantly, the story. And we are, like you said, able to tell the story behind the wine, behind the region, behind the winemaker. You know, um, what is, what's, what really, you know, is this, this is a real wine from a real place and has a real story and real people behind it. And I think that's important. Yeah, I think that that is very important. And I think um, so, so often over the, you know, past 20 years, we've had a lot of wines kind of come and go that aren't real, that don't, uh, are wines without parents, wines without place. And, um, and I think that the millennial generation and the Gen X generation are much more uh, demanding today of that, you know, where did it come from? How was it grown? Um, and who are the people behind it that becomes important? Um, to them. And then, you know, the, the future of Rosé, what, you know, what are we um, seeing um, in the future as far as brand loyalty, growth, varietals, appellations, Nicole, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that France is going to continue to go strong for quite some time. I think that we're nearing a, a peak and it's definitely still going strong though. So I don't really see that dying down. Um, but I also think with the increasing costs of importing and supply chain issues that unfortunately don't seem to be going away anytime in the future either, we'll see a lot more um, wine consumers drinking from, you know, California and, and United States because it's going to be difficult. Um, as time goes on to continue to get the wines that people love and, and want to drink so much. So I think that soon they'll start to be a little bit of a consumer switch, not necessarily because they want to, but because um, some people will get outpriced on, on the wines that they're typically used to drinking. Uh, they'll be out of their, their budget now and others um, might be interested in trying something new, but I think we'll start to see that happen more and more at least the next year. Yeah, good points. Wendy, what are your thoughts for the future of Rosé? Um, I, I mean, I, I pretty much, I think uh, Nicole was spot on. I think France is going to continue to be the leader, but um, I, I also agree that there's opportunity for wines from the U.S. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, love for California out there. So I think that that's, um, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, but like I said before, I do hope that, it doesn't become like, I, I appreciate the same super. He has the rosé that's a bit darker in color, a bit more um, of a serious dry rosé. I hope that that remains um, because I think it's so important to have that um, character, sense of place, sense of personality behind the wine. And so again, I think it's, um, you know, it's up to us and the trade to sort of continue to offer customers. Um, I, I worry that, you know, in some, um, uh, you know, maybe smaller brick and mortar stores, there's just not enough room on the shelf like we at wine.com have, where we can offer, you know, 500 different rosés on a given day. Um, 
you know, are, are the customers want to want to travel and want to, you know, have that sort of lifestyle experience. And while they do in their minds think of France, I think that there is a lot of opportunity. I mean, with, um, you know, we haven't really talked much about sparkling, but I mean, with Prosecco Rosé being, a, um, you know, a, a newly designated um, category, I think there's um, great opportunity there. Um, and so I, I think we'll continue to see other regions grow, but France will remain the top. Yeah, I think you're you're quite right on that. I think France is not going to give up that position um, at all, and I think we're all enjoying those French rosés. We're just not enjoying the the shipping time to get them to the U.S., which is now taking three to four months longer um, than we we used to experience. And um, and then of course it's just hitting the shore and not working through our three tier distribution system. So and that of course is taking longer as well. So you're seeing rosé show up, you know, five months later than you used to see it, um, which is a challenge for everyone when you're building your wine lists and trying to manage for the distributors and, of course, for the um, producers. Anything that I um, should have asked you or thoughts on rosé that you, you feel like we should share, um, Nicole? Um, you know, I still think that we're still less and less of an issue, but still getting over the pink drink of rosé. And um, I think we've made a lot of progress, but I mean, just yesterday we were serving rosé uh, out on our uh, function lawn here and poured a glass for some for someone that had ordered it. And her husband turned around and said, what is that? And she goes, rosé, you won't like it. It's a girly drink. And I, you know, I just, I want us to get over this. So, you know, and I think that when, when Brad Pitt and, you know, put his name on Mirabal with obviously Angelina Jolie, which, you know, that's all changed now, but um, that kind of started a movement, I think, where it was cool for men to drink rosé and if Brad Pitt can do it, I can do it. And, um, you know, more and more, I, you know, walking outside for brunch, you know, I see groups of, you know, six men sharing a magnum of rosé. I love it. I think that's incredible. And, um, you know, I, but I still, and yesterday happens and I'm like, how, where's this progress? And, you know, I think that there's still this like stigma against it. And I just, um, I just, I wish everyone would get over that. Good point. Wendy, any, any parting thoughts? Well, I mean, I think we've covered good ground. Um, I, you know, I think we just need to um, keep keep educating, keep um, you know, giving customers choice. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess one thing we didn't really talk that much about, but um, is we do have customers seeking wines made from organically grown grapes and things like that. And you know, there is some confusion I think out there about the difference between natural wines and or organically grown grapes and all of that. And so again, I mean, that's, that's about educating customers, but um, I do think that there is some interest there and um, we'll, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see um, how that goes and how that expands. You know, that, that's a good point, Wendy, because there are so many different certifications and um, the rosé we bring from, from France is organically certified um, in France. You know, we're certified Napa Green here, winery and vineyard. And there's just um, a lot of different certifications and perhaps lack of um, 
availability of knowledge of understanding the differences between those certifications. And so much of what we're doing is um, trying to be sustainable and what's right for the soil, what's right for the land, what's right for the people. Um, and there's, there's a lot of components to it that aren't just any one category anymore. Um, and so maybe we'll, we'll have to get together and delve into that a little bit more um, next time, because I'm, I'm curious uh, what the wine.com data is showing as people are, are looking at those uh, certifications online. Well, just to touch on that briefly, I, um, because there are so many different um, uh, types of certifications um, wines can get from all over the world, um, we currently just use a green icon for any one of those. Um, but I do think it's important to um, expand a bit on that and to be able to, uh, again, I keep going back to ed education, but to be able to educate, customers are curious and they want to know what's behind that. And so I think that there's opportunity to, to tell that story. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today on the Saints of Recips podcast. Please subscribe and um, listen to our other great guests. And um, in the meantime, be well, be kind, and cheers. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thank you.